Excuse me. <coughs> mm. Too much yelling. I, I would say it's all from church, but I did. I might have done a little bit of yelling last night watching some football. <laughs> I'm a Texas fan, and so I was up very late rooting on the Longhorns, who gave a great effort but lost in overtime to a team that should have beat them by four touchdowns, which is, is all right. Still should have won. So, yeah, and a kid's baseball game, yeah. Don't you love kids' sports? Don't the parents suck all the fun out of it? <laughs> I'm one of those parents sometimes. God forgive me. Uh, if you want to open, let's open up to John chapter 8. And um, I just want to say this, um, about a week or 10 days ago, Sydney lost her father who went on to be with the Lord, and we just want you to know we love you and we're here for you. We have cards back here at the back, and it's strange to announce it with, with, you know, here in front of you, but we have cards that we want to present to you. So if you want to write an encouraging word, a prayer, something right here, Patricia has cards back on this table. Would you please do that? And then we'll give that to Sydney at the end because we want her to know we're on our team, we're her family. And the Bible told us to mourn with those who mourn and to rejoice with those who rejoice. So we get to choose. It's a choice, right? And we choose to mourn with you, and we rejoice when others have good things happen, and when you have good things happen, we'll rejoice with you. So um, please do that, and we'll show support to Sydney, and we love you, and we love what God's doing in your life. It's beautiful. Your confidence is growing and is visible. You're a different person, really. Amen. All right, John chapter 8. Oh, yeah, and one of the cards is for Daniel. Poor guy. Oh, Daniel. Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. He broke his femur playing soccer. Whew. I do not wish that on anyone. John chapter 8. <clears throat> And we're going to start with verse 1. When Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and the people were, out were, the people were coming to him. Like everywhere Jesus went, people wanted to be around them. Hello? <clears throat> that should be who we are. The word even says, as he is, as Jesus is, so are we in the world. So if people were always running to be around Jesus... Because he brought life to them, we should be like him in the world. If people were all trying to touch him, now I understand not like touch us like we're a god. Because the people in Acts, they tried to do that. They say, hey, don't worship us. We're just men like you are. This is God. But my point is, people are trying to touch Jesus, then they should be trying to touch us, be around us, because we give life to them. Because we're on fire, right? We're, he's on us for others. And so people were trying to get to Jesus, and he sat down with them. And he began to teach them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. I'd love to see the rest of the story. Like, how did this happen? Like, did they have spies out? Did they hire a private investigator? Like, we suspect that this woman is an adulterer, so we're going to follow her until we catch her in the act. All right, guys, come on. <laughs> so they caught her in the act of adultery, and they brought her out. They dragged her out to the center of of the city court. Oh, God, poor woman. She probably felt what? Embarrassed, shame. <sighs> so they said to Jesus, who was teaching, 
It's like you interrupted my sermon, but I sense this is a better sermon. (laughs) This is a better lesson that's about to be taught. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery, in the very act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Women got the bad end of the deal in some of these stories, didn't they? Yeah. Thank God, through Jesus, there is no male nor female, no no Jew or Greek, no bond or free. We're all sons and daughters. (sighs) This woman has been caught. The law of Moses says that we're to stone her. Well, what do you say? So they were saying this because they were testing him. They were always trying to test him, yeah? So that they might have grounds to accuse him. Now, it's very interesting that it says that they were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So the way the accuser works is to to bring accusations against a bigger fish. He'll bring accusations against a smaller fish. You ever watch the cop shows where they're like, well, if we just catch enough of the small fish, they'll lead us to the big fish, the big drug dealers. Well, these Pharisees were trying to find a smaller fish and accuse her in front of everyone, in front of a huge crowd of people, so that when Jesus did the wrong thing and didn't stone her according to the law, they can now accuse him. They are doing the work of Satan. Did you know any time we bring accusations against someone else, we are actually doing what Satan would do? WWSD? What would Satan do? The accuser of the brethren who, who works day and night to accuse us. I'm going to get on, on a soapbox for just a moment. A- accusing looks like this. Why didn't Joel Osteen open his church? That's accusation. I'm like, okay, you want to talk about that? You can talk about that, but I am not going to be any part of that. I'm not a Joel Osteen listener. I'm just not. That's, I, I like a little more fire. But what he's doing is a note that's important in the kingdom of God. Do you know, I, I look at him like a gateway drug into the kingdom. Like, hey, he's like, for people that need just positive things spoken over them, like, man, they're not going to listen to any other kinds of message, but, man, they need, it. they need to be lifted up out of the pit and encouraged. He's the man for that job. And so they go and they listen to him, and then they, they hang out with him for a while. They're like, you know what? I'm growing a little bit more. I, I'm going to move on to some more teaching as well. And so God bless Joel Osteen. I'm just using that because that was all over everywhere. And I was like, part of me wants to say, we don't even know. We don't even know. But the problem is, what happens is, the accuser comes in and gets us to, to pick teams. So this is what these guys were doing. They're like, we know Jesus believes in the law because he says that he's God's son and God wrote the law. So if Jesus doesn't obey the law here, then Jesus is not Jesus. So what they were really trying to do, they were picking up teams. And they were like, we're on Moses' team. We want to take stones right now, and we want to kill this woman because we're righteous. What do you say to do, Jesus? <laughs> I love it. Jesus just, Jesus just stoops down. He doesn't even answer him. Like, what is wrong with this? this? Jesus did some weird stuff, man. He heals a blind man 
by spitting in dirt and putting it on his face. <laughs> I don't get it. But Jesus doesn't answer him. He just bends over and he starts writing in the sand. And there's all kinds of what could he have been writing? Like he was writing their names in the sand, like whatever. He was writing in the sand. He starts, stoops down and with his finger and he starts to write in the ground, ignoring them basically. But they persisted. And he straightened up and he said to them, boom, boom, boom. And here's the climax of the story. He who is without sin, go ahead, step on up and cast the first stone. Now, question, out of all the people there, who was the only one without sin? Jesus. So Jesus goes back to what he was doing because he decided, I'm the only one without sin and I'm choosing not to stone her. I'm going back to what I was doing. He goes back to writing in the ground. And when they heard this, they begin to go out one by one. What a picture. I love that this phrase is in there. It's in there for a reason. Like God doesn't just say things to talk. He doesn't need to hear his voice. He says it because it's really important. And he says, when they heard it, they began to go out one by one. And then listen to this phrase, beginning with the older ones. They led by example. In a, tr- in a tribal culture that they lived in, the elders were of utmost respect. We don't really have that in America <laughs> We, we don't see that tribal respect of elders in America. The Latin culture has a lot better that built into. You don't talk bad about mom or dad in the Latin culture. In, in, in Japan and China and places like that, there's a real strong, am I telling the truth? Yeah. Like, you're a white boy. What do you know? I don't know. This is what I've heard. This is, I've heard stories. <laughs> but I think of the Japanese culture of, of great honor, and they respect their elders. It was like that in those times. You just didn't speak negative of an older person. He just didn't. And so by them dropping their stones and walking away, they led the whole group of people to follow their example, and they walk away. And let's look at the rest of the story. Paul Harvey would say, <laughs> the rest of us. And he was left alone with the woman. So everyone is left, and the only person who legally has a right to stone her is there left with her alone. Now, this is such a great story. So he straightens up, and Jesus says to her, Woman, where are they? Is there no one left to condemn you, to accuse you? She said, There's no one, Lord. And then Jesus said, which is so awesome, I don't condemn you either. Every bit of shame, every bit of guilt, every bit of ugliness that she was carrying upon her was gone the moment he said, I no longer condemn you either. I don't condemn you either. Your shame is gone. So when he released her from her shame, I bless your present, then he blessed her future. And he said, go and sin no more. And Jesus never gives us a command that, that doesn't come with the ability to do what he told us to do. Noah, build an ark. Well, I don't even know how to, Lord. Well, I will show you how to. 
Build an altar. I don't know how to build an altar. Well, I'll give you the, the specs for the altar. Gideon, you're going to deliver Israel. Well, I don't, I'm the smallest. I don't know anything. Well, I'm going to show you how to do it. We're going to use some pitchers and some torches. <laughs> he will always give us a word, but his word comes equipped to do what he told us to do. So I, I want to build a culture here. I'm all about culture. I really believe in culture because culture gets past religious cliches. It gets past doctrinal arguments. And it gets to where we really live and actually put it into practice. It moves past theories and becomes behavioral. And I want to build a culture here where shame gets destroyed. I'm on this thing right now. where shame causes us to hide. Shame causes us to run. Shame causes us to withdraw. And the enemy would love, would love, love, love for us to wear shame as a coat so that everywhere we go, even if we try to do a good thing, there's shame attached to us already. And this shame, this cloak of shame, will begin to become our identity Like this woman caught in this, she didn't even have a name. She was the woman caught in adultery. Her identity was attached to the shame she carried. But Jesus said, I don't condemn you. What does Romans 8 say? There is, therefore. What does it say? There is, therefore, no condemnation. For who? And then it says, for the law of the Spirit that came alive in Christ Jesus, set us free from the law that says you should be stoned for that. Church has become a place where shame has been cultivated. We have used shame to control people. This is my soapbox today. I'm staying on it. We have used shame in the church to create a facade of purity. It's like the see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. If we don't see it, then it's not here. How many have heard stories of little kids when they were little, they would they close their eyes and think that because they close their eyes that no one could see them because they can't. <laughs> That's what we've done in the church. Shh. Don't tell anyone your sin. Shh. You, hand, you just handle that with you and God. You go to your prayer closet, and you can take care of that with just you and God. Is that true? It is true. You can go into your prayer closet and have God deal with the issues of our heart. That's the best place to go. But James kind of gives us another key to this that we don't do in the church. James 5 16 through 20 says, therefore, James 5, 16 through 20, therefore, confess your sins. It doesn't say to God. It says to one another. Everyone say to one another. Whoa, that sounds scary, doesn't it? What if we said right now, you can't leave the building until you confess every sin to the person you're sitting next to? How would you feel? 
shame. Embarrassed. Afraid. I don't want them to know that about me. I want a culture where that feeling does not exist. <laughs> where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, liberty. If I am, a, am not free or at liberty to tell you what's going on inside of me, then what are we doing? I can't tell you how heartbroken I've been over the last few years. The people that I really love and know are going through stuff that I didn't even know. And I'm like, man, I'm your brother-in-law. I'm your friend. I'm your neighbor. I'm whatever. Fill in the blank. And I don't know what's going on inside of you. Do I create a culture that makes you afraid to tell me? Because if it's me, I'm sorry. That's not what I want to be. I want to be a safe place. Now let's get things straight first. What causes shame? Sin. You can't have a culture where shame is destroyed and have sin be okay. But... What, is, what does Paul say? If we sin, what do we have? I heard you. Yeah, preacher's wife, she should know. We have an advocate, which means you have an attorney, and he's ready for you. He's your attorney. He's your Jim Adler. He will hammer and hammer and hammer. <laughs> he's a Texas, Texas attorney, whatever he is. I don't know. He's crazy. He's like a, a wrestler. He should have been wrestling. If he was a bigger man, he would have been a pro wrestler. <laughs> but if you sin, which says that you can choose to sin. I said this before. I'm going to just say it again. Adam and Eve sinned without a sin nature in the garden. They didn't have a nature to sin, and they still chose to sin. Which means if we're new believers, we're new creations, we're not new believers, we're new creations right? The old is gone, the new has come. I'm completely new. I don't have a sin nature anymore, and neither do you if you said yes to Jesus. But I can still sin because I can choose to because I still have free will. It's dumb. It's not enjoyable like it might used to been, but I can do it. It will add misery. But if I do sin, guess what? I have an attorney that I can go to and it's also important that I not only go to my attorney, but that I find people that I trust that are my people, my tribe, people that I feel safe with that don't make me feel shame. And I can tell them what's going on inside of me. I had a really good conversation uh, with my, my mother-in-law, um, whatever, Friday night or Saturday, whenever it was. And we were talking about this specific thing and about men and we were just talking about this epidemic of pornography and all this stuff that's going on that's attacking men. And this is what I th think. Men don't like church. Mostly. Now, if you do, you're a church boy. I'm a church boy. I like church. Most of the time. <laughs> but most men, they don't like church. It's, it's very threatening to our isolation. 
And so what we've done is we have built a culture in church of shame where men that struggle with these sins get labeled as a pervert. Now, that's a horrible thing to call somebody. In case you've never thought about it, that's a really big deal to a man. What man would ever come into a a church culture and say, yeah, I've been having a problem with with pornography or name the sexual sin, whatever. What man would would risk that at the risk of being called a pervert? Or a, a scarlet letter put on his chest? So what we've done is we've driven men out of the church, completely out of the church, because of shame. Because we say, don't you dare tell anybody what you're thinking. That's a really bad thought. That's an evil thought. That's a sinful thought. Don't tell anyone, because if you tell someone, then you're going to be labeled, and we're going to have to insulate and isolate you. Am I telling the truth? I'm using this example because that shame culture is in the church. It's just we pick and choose what we apply it to. If you sin over here, if you have this sin, we, we, it's okay. If you're fearful, if that's the most appropriate sin in church, we let fear stay. I don't know why. It's the stupidest sin. But we let sin, the sin of fear, oh, that's okay. It's okay to be afraid. No, it's actually not okay. Because when I actually choose fear, I'm, I'm resisting God as my father. So we've got these lists of sins, and we're like, okay, if you, as long as you're on this side of the line, there's minimal shame involved. But sexual sin, addiction, broken marriage, broken relationships, language, habits, oh, you smoke, you should be ashamed of yourself. No, you shouldn't. Stop if you want to Stop. I think it's a smart decision to stop. But there should not be these stigmas in the church that says these people are on this team and we insulate them from shame with self-righteousness. Because they cover up they cover up their sin of fear and pride and jealousy with religious activity. So when they do all this stuff that's visible and seen, it compensates overcompensa. <laughs> they overcompensate with religious things to appear as if there's nothing going on in here. And those people are the in crowd. They wear the letterman jackets. They're on the football team. They get 85 scholarships when the soccer team gets three. (laughs) Or 2.6. In some cases, I've seen they get 2.6 scholarships for soccer. I'm like, what is going on? This kid who's a blind snapper (laughs) has a scholarship. I'm just kidding. Come on, that's funny, isn't it? (laughs) All right, off, off that. But we do this in church. And here's what shame does. Shame will either cause us to hide and run away. All right? 
which is what Adam and Eve did. Their nakedness felt like shame. So they ran and hid from God. So shame will do that. Shame will also cause us to not take responsibility for our own choices. Did you know that that is shame that causes us to blame other people? I'm too ashamed to take responsibility for that because it would mean that I did this. So I'm going to blame you. Now, Adam's language is pretty interesting in Genesis 3 when he says, that woman, blaming number one, that you gave me. (laughs) He was like super at blaming others. The woman and you gave her to me, God. So both of y'all are the problem, not me. (laughs) And that is like some expert level blame shifting. So they hid. They blamed someone else because Eve did it too. That serpent, he tricked me. She was wise enough not to blame God. That serpent you created, she didn't say that. (laughs) So women are wiser than men. It's proof right there. So shame causes us to hide, run from church, run from community, run from intimacy in church, causes us to blame other people. We don't ever take responsibility. And the third thing is equally as bad. It will cause us to clothe ourselves in a way we see fit. Well, we were naked, and that nakedness was called shame. We were ashamed, so we went and we fashioned this leaf. Isn't it beautiful? And Jesus said, who told you you were naked? Where did you learn that word? You know what shame is? Shame is the mob's cry for someone to be punished so that they can feel better about themselves. Shame is is the mob's cry for someone to be punished publicly so that I can feel better about me. Jesus, all your teaching is making us uncomfortable. So we're going to trick you today. And we got this woman caught in the act of adultery. Surely she's worse than we are. So what are you going to do? You're going to stone her? Give us her blood. Can you imagine what they really asked? Oh, God. What if Jesus said, go ahead? Oh, what a horrible, horrible thought, right? But he didn't. And Jesus flipped it onto them, and they felt, they felt ashamed for what they'd done. And they walked away. Now, what's the point of all of this? I want our culture here to be a place where we can confess our sin to our neighbors, and to God without fear of punishment. Hello? How many want to be part of something like that? I do. Man, you know how freeing it would make all of us to know? Man, I can tell someone all the crazy stuff going on in my head. Before we ever act out on any, any sin, it doesn't matter what it is, name it, it doesn't matter. Any sin, we've thought about it. We've thought, because we have to calculate in our brain, is it worth it? We do a pros and cons, all right? There's a pros, there's a cons, I feel ashamed. Here's the pros, okay, well, I'm going to go do it anyway. But we do this in our head, a cost analysis of is this valuable or not. We make this decision, we think about it before we ever act upon it. 
That's why he told us. He gave us weapons to pull down strongholds, to cast down imaginations. Those thoughts that go crazy and you start thinking about stuff you would never do, that's an imagination going wild. Grab a hold of your imagination and bring it under control. He gave us the ability to do that. And he said to take captive every thought and make it obedient unto Christ. Do you know that it's really healthy for us to tell our spouse, to tell our, our best friend, to tell our mother or father, somebody what's going on in our head so that they can be on our team? It's so good for us. It's so healthy. And we do not do this in church ever, anywhere. We do not confess our sins to each other. Am I, is that true? When's the last time we confess our sin to someone in the church? I don't remember doing it. I mean, sometimes we answer an altar call and we're like, well, I've been struggling with that. We count that as confessing our sin. I'm talking about on a, on a relational level where I can say, man, I've, I'm in a dark place right now. You got to help me. See, we, we can't have the freedom that comes with the community of Christ Unless we partake in the community. Am I telling the truth? Hmm. So I want you to join me in building a culture where shame is not allowed. Now, let's go back to the beginning. Where does shame come from? Sin. Okay, so let's stop sinning. Well, it's not that easy. Absolutely. It's always a choice. Do or do not. There is no try. Always a choice. And who's in authority of our choices? The great gift of free will that God gave us. Why did he do that? Why didn't he build inside of us something that would take away our, our ability to choose wrong? Like he could give us a little buzzer like, are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> Is that your final answer? You want to phone a friend? <laughs> he, he trusts us. Did you know that God trusts you? I'm like, oh, God doesn't know me then. <laughs> yeah, he does. He absolutely trusts you. He trusts you. He knows you, and he trusts you. Where'd your mind go when I said that? Did you feel shame? Were you afraid? You feel like you let him down? Knock it off. Stop it. Stop. Do not let shame become your identity. Bring your weaknesses to the Lord. Let him deal with them. Confess those weaknesses to people that you really trust and love you, that are on your team, that will not hold it over your head as a power play. And then let's move on with this thing and stop struggling. I'm telling you the truth. We're a, we are Fire Life Church. That is a, that is a powerful name. That is not something to be taken lightly. Otherwise, we should just become church. First church of the whatever. First church of the struggling Christians. 
trying to stay saved. That's not who we are. Let's get over ourselves. There is a world, God, there is a world of people that don't know that God loves them like we do. And they are more, they are more important than us sitting around here wallowing in our self-pity and selfishness. Look up. Fire Life Church. He's in us for us. We come alive. Good. That's good. We could be Life Church, but we're not just Life Church. We're Fire Life Church. Because the only way that this makes any sense and becomes fully vested is for us to give it to other people. When we just look at ourselves, this is the church we get. I'm talking about American church. Selfish buildings, funds, programs, worship albums, CD sales, book sales, name it all. I'm not against all of that. But it becomes our focal point. No shame. Shame is not from God. He says those who trust in the Lord will never be put to shame. You trust the Lord? Then shame has no claim on you. You know how to take away the power of shame? Bring your weaknesses to the light. The only way sin or weakness can stay powerful is for it to remain hidden in darkness. But the Bible says, for whatever is exposed to the light, what happens to it? Think about this for a second. Whatever is exposed to the light becomes light. All right, this is it. Final thought. That weakness that I'm so ashamed of, when I will expose that to the light of Christ, will actually become light. It will actually become powerful for me instead of working against me. Because God takes everything and causes it to work for my benefit. So when I take the dark, hidden things that I don't want anyone to know about in the deepest recesses of my thoughts and in my heart, when I expose that to his light, to his love, then it becomes light and love and it transforms me and it shifts me into a new person. It breaks off shackles and chains. And we get to hear the same thing that woman heard. Where are those that are to accuse you? Well, there's no one accusing me. Well, guess what? I'm the only one that has a right to, and I don't either. You're free. Now, I bless your present, and I bless your future. Go and sin no more. Come on, stand. Father, we come to you now. We ask that you would teach us this lesson to break off shame and guilt from our bodies, from, our, from the body of Christ, not just here, but the entire body of Christ. We ask that shame would be taken away. You said that we will become a glorious church without spot, without wrinkle, powerful, who, who is in direct proportion to you, the head, the, the, the Christ is the head of the bride. Hmm. Father, if there's anyone here struggling with secret addiction, I ask God that you would let them know that it's okay to tell you and to tell somebody that you paid for their penalty already. They're not going to be punished for it, that they can dig their way out of this.
Let's just keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But if you have felt shame, this is for you. We break off that shame from you in Jesus' name. Tell him you don't want it anymore. It's not in his identity for us. You are free. There's no one here to accuse you. You're free. You are not that thing. Jesus' name. Now that is an important moment right here. What just happened here. But the part two of it is equally important. Confess it to God. It's time to confess it to your wife, to your husband, to your father, your mother, someone that you trust that's in the body of Christ. It doesn't have to be someone in this room. I would love to build a culture where we're all like, yeah, let's just confess our sins right here in this room. That's what I want. But if you're not there yet, find someone you really trust. And just tell them. This is all you have to say. I'm coming to you because I really trust you. And I'm trusting that you will not punish me for what I'm about to tell you. I understand I may have to clean up my mess. That's not shame. We tell our kids all the time. We make messes, right? We spill stuff. What do we say, boys? Clean up your mess. It's all right. It's no big deal. You spilled something. I spill stuff. I drop stuff all the time. Mandy laughs at me. I always drop stuff. I don't know what my deal is. I got the dropsy. <laughs> I got butterfingers. That's what it is. I told her I'd drop anything except for a ball that's being thrown to me. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but there's no shame in cleaning up your mess. That is a, actually a really powerful thing that you do when you clean up your mess. It's very mature of you. Good job. So there's no shame in cleaning up the mess. All right? So I speak courage into you right now. I speak courage into me. I have to do this. About seven or eight years ago, there was a turning point in Mandy, Mandy and I's marriage. There was a shift that took place where, where all the facade, all the hidden stuff, it's over. No more. We have no secrets. No secrets. I don't have passcodes on my phones, on my computers, nothing. Open. Babe, anything you want to know about me, we communicate. If I'm struggling with anything, we talk about it. If she's struggling with anything, we talk about it. It was a really hard thing to go through. It's scary. The person you love the most, like, I'm scared they're going to reject me. And she's like, I'm scared you're going to reject me. I'm like, no, baby, you're my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) And we made a choice that we didn't even know. We didn't have words for it then. This was before Danny Silk wrote his book, Keeping Your Love On. And we learned that love is a choice. And, like, you can actually choose to love someone and make up your mind to do it, even that the feelings aren't there yet. We didn't know any of this. But we said, "I I choose you. And something shifted. Something changed. 
I, I tell I tell anyone that that knows me, my marriage is healthy because we're vulnerable, not for any other reason. So so be vulnerable with your spouse, let them in your world. You know what? Your spouse wants to be in your world more than you even realize. They long for that intimate place. And guess what? Men really want intimacy. I'll go ahead and say it. Men don't just want physical intimacy. Men really long for letting someone really know them. Like, it's there. It's deep in the heart of a man. I just felt like I needed to say that and share that. Because we've, when we do this, when we confess, there's strength that comes to us. It just happens. So I just want to say this. If you, if you want to give your heart to the Lord... If you want to say yes to him, maybe you haven't done that. Would you meet, meet us here at the Salvation Banner? If you weren't healed, my, my knees feel really good. I don't want to say they're healed. They feel better. I'm going to pray for more healing. If you need freedom from addiction, from anything, from fear, whatever it is, someone will meet you at the Freedom Banner. We will make this a place of prayer. But I want you to know, the last thing I'm going to say, this is a safe church. It's a safe church. We don't like sin. Because sin hurts us. It does. It hurts us. Sin has its own penalty. God doesn't have to punish us. Sin punishes us itself. So we don't like sin. But we also don't want people to be ashamed to get help. So if you need prayer, we're here at the front. We love you. If you want to pray for your neighbor, whatever you feel you need to do, we bless you. God, I bless their present. And I bless their future. In Jesus' name.